welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Welcome, everybody, to Fantasy Baseball today, Tuesday, April 21st. New intro, not too shabby. Everybody mentioned is actually here today. Frank, joined by Chris, Adam, and Scott. Adam, you're back. How was staycation? How are you doing, buddy? It was good. It was fine, I guess. <laughs> I don't Did know. you go anywhere fun? <laughs> oh, we had a... Jeez, what didn't we do? Friday night, I had to drop something off at our in-law, my in-law's. And I dropped it off using a pair of gloves, sprayed it with Lysol. And then we had a conversation from about 15 to 20 feet away while we were standing in the rain. So Friday was insane. We can't do that again. Like, that was too crazy for us. And then Sunday, um, I played Scategories on Zoom with uh, my cousins, my brother, my sister. That was actually very fun. I recommend taking advantage of Zoom and playing fun trivia games and stuff like that. Adam has stock in Zoom, by the way. Full <laughs> and, disclosure. And categories. I've always I've had long had categories stock. <laughs> God is here already drinking a soda here today. So I do appreciate yeah. that. Uh, well, and- I thought my energy level was a little low yesterday. So, you know, I have to, have to ramp it up. Chris, you missed our, our impromptu chicken finger discussion. So. Apologies, but if you really, like really chicken fingers now is your is the chance to do so. Yeah, really disappointed that I missed that one. Uh, I consider myself something of a chicken finger connoisseur. Uh, best chicken fingers available at uh, chain restaurants. I, I would go. Uh, I don't know what you guys actually discuss, but this is just I'm throwing this out there. Um, uh, PDQ, great. Obviously, that's their whole game. Chili's, great chicken fingers. Really, highly recommend. Uh, a chicken finger from Chili's and uh, Longhorn Steakhouse, the best chicken fingers <laughs> in the world. Longhorn Steak, Longhorn Steak, Jesus, Longhorn Steakhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, an excellent honey mustard. So that that's uh, that's your top three right there. So basically, as far as we got into the discussion was just that we both really like chicken fingers because we're picky eaters. Uh, no, 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 that is not how not that re- discussion unfolded. I do not lump myself in with the picky eaters. I was just saying you being a picky eater must enjoy chicken fingers because there's never been an eater too picky for chicken fingers. Well, I mean, it's. It's white meat chicken and it's fried, and then you you, you typically get some sort of dipping sauce. It's it's uh, hard to yes, it's hard we to disagreed on the dipping sauces. Yeah, Scott doesn't use dipping sauce, which that's weird. <laughs> that's actually like I'm a, 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 I might have to report that to HR. A good chicken finger doesn't need dipping sauce. Maybe one you get like at a concession stand at the town fair or something that tastes like nothing. You need to put dipping sauce on that. I but... mean, you don't need it. But it enhances it. It's a delicious mm. thing that you can add to your meal. Uh, mm. Yeah, no, I don't think I, it's as good as just the taste of the the, the, the I, chicken batter. I definitely used to be a very picky eater. I've grown out of that for the most part. But God, I still love a chicken finger. If you when it, it, well, I like I cooked burgers last night, and they had cheese. We're talking about chicken. Fingers, yeah, I know. Adam. But here's here's the thing: they had cheese, mushrooms, and chopped onions that were sautéed in vinegar. 
and then my wife put ketchup on it, and I was like, kind of pissed. Yeah, that's an insult. That, that's an insult. To yeah, me. well, because like ketchup is its own specific thing, and ketchup is good in very limited circumstances. French fries, hot dogs, sometimes chicken fingers. No, I of don't course. like ketchup with chicken fingers. Oh, no. well, I'm sorry, but everybody else Gross. does. But the point is, if you if what you cooked is good, it shouldn't need a <laughs> dipping sauce. Like it's kind of what's got. Yeah, well, there you no, go. I, I, you, so know what, no. you know what? You know what else? I, I I don't eat ketchup on my fries. I don't. Good fries don't need ketchup. They have straight, Scott. Same Adam, have you ever have you ever heard of Al Cheval restaurant in New York City? No, it's a Chicago-based restaurant, but there's one here. My wife and I went there for our anniversary because they have the best, supposedly the best burger in the city and i gotta say it's the best burger in the city really it's amazing but it's a really good burger uh it's got some onions it's got uh you can get a fried egg on it if you want it's a little too messy for me i don't like that but they do have a sauce and it's a delicious sauce and there's nothing wrong if you make a good sauce it just enhances the flavors of everything else I, All right, this show is going off the rails already, so I'm going to try and get us back on track. Four-man show, and this is how we're getting started here. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today on the show, we do have another MLB proposal. not going to spend too much time on it, but I figure any time one of these come around, we will bring it up on the show uh, and how it could potentially affect fantasy baseball. Uh, and on Tuesdays, we like to do either a draft or you know constructing a random team, and today we're going to do that. It's Team Scam. Adam and Scott going up against Team Crank, Chris and Frank. And Adam actually has the uh, the green screen up behind him. He has the scam sign. So he's locked and loaded. He's ready to go here. Uh, and the crux of the draft or just kind of revealing these teams will be old players versus young players, youth versus veterans, where Chris and I are representing the youth team, uh, anyone who's 24 years old or younger. And Adam and Scott are representing the oldies, mm. 32 years old or older. Uh, and then we'll get to your questions later on. Yeah. Fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. But I did want to start off with the latest proposal uh, in baseball, which sees a three-state plan between Arizona, Florida, and Texas. Chris, I know that a concern that you had when we brought up the possibility of just teams playing in the two states in Arizona and Florida was that there would be too many rainouts. There would be rain delays. There would be cancellations. Apparently, there are ballparks in all three of these states, uh, in St. Petersburg, in Phoenix, and in Arlington, that have roofs available. So that's something that would not be a concern uh, for those teams playing there. Uh, multiple games hosted at these sites per day. Uh, let's see what happens ultimately with this proposal. Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw seem like they're already kind of opposed to quarantine baseball where you know they're just kind of secluded in one state area away from their families uh, and obviously those are two of the bigger names in baseball between trout and kershaw so uh, any just immediate takeaways uh, basically it's the same proposal as we had before just with an added state now in texas apparently I mean, they I were get, listening to chris i mean i guess the idea would be you would play like five day five games per day at like what globe life park is the new stadium in Texas, which with a roof, uh, Tropicana Field and Chase Field. And so you just kind of cycle them in the way that like the NBA does summer league, where as soon as one game ends, it's like <laughs> half an hour. And the next game, like I, that seems to be the only yeah. way it would be feasible. I don't, unless there's a second domed stadium in St. Petersburg, Florida, that I'm not aware of. Uh, 
they, so they, had I, talk, look, they had talked about uh, maybe incorporating Miami's too, so that there would be because I think the idea is there would be more than there would be two at each of these sites. Or I don't I, I, like I, I'm sure they've got a plan, uh, and I'm sure that they've thought these logistics through or are in the process of thinking these logistics through. Pat, um, wait, I have a question. So in terms of the Dome Stadium, they're they're saying they're only going to play at the Dome Stadiums, or they just ha- they have these dome stadiums like they can play oh, that's some, a good point like yeah. they can play some games at the outdoor stadiums and yeah some games at, yeah and, and like i've seen college baseball tournaments play four games a day i think it is endless it is a marathon yeah it's and the field would get so beat up but you know by a week you'd think so i don't think they could do that i just think having a dome stadium would help on the days where you have crappy weather but they, they're part of the. It was playing multiple games on the same site each day, yeah. which would be. I don't know, man. Must seems be fun. Am, seems ambitious to do it for several months. I mean, look, you're gonna have to do something. I think ultimately, what this all comes down to is, is what we're seeing is that uh, Major League Baseball is taking seriously the 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 possibility, and at this point, I think the likelihood that they're going to have to come up with some kind of creative solution and that they're being flexible and considering both the, uh, or all three of the Arizona only Arizona and Florida, Arizona, Florida, Texas, um, you know, the more contingency plans that there are, the more, the, the greater possibility it is that we get this season off the ground. And I'm starting to become more hopeful um, that we'll have, I mean, I've always been pretty hopeful, but I, I'm more optimistic now than I have been uh, that we're going to get a season and, you know, it depends on what it looks like. You know, when we're talking about the effects of, uh, you know, Arizona specifically, well, if they're playing most of the games at Chase Field, that mutes a lot of the, those effects. You know, we've seen Chase Field play as a much more neutral park. You know, when we're, when we're reacting to uh, the offensive environment that that could have created, it was more playing in spring training and minor league facilities in Arizona that wouldn't have presumably the humidor uh, and the closed roof. And so, you know, I I think what you would see in in a scenario where a third of the league plays at Chase Field, a third of the league plays in, or plays in Arizona, a third of the league plays in Texas, and a third of the league plays in Florida, is probably the league that plays in Florida is going to have better pitching options for fantasy. Because whether it's just Tropicana, whether it's Tropicana and uh, Marlins Park, either one, those are great places to pitch. Yeah, it might become like a new, uh, like the new division between AL and NL. Obviously, AL pitchers have their work cut out for them because facing an extra hitter every time through the lineup might be similar the to NL, that sort of division. Although the NL, the assumption is that we're going to have universal DH. At this point, I'm pretty much moving forward with that. Right. Like that would be the new division yeah. among, um, you know, we, One, we talk about whenever a pitcher switches from AL to NL, his, yeah. his ceiling goes up, his floor goes up, all of that. One takeaway, like th- there's going to be all kinds of fascinating uh, ripple effects of this, you know, from I think we're just going to kind of have to throw out 2020 results when we're drafting for 2021. You know, it's going to be really hard to, uh, to take much out of it if everyone's playing in a different environment than they're used to. If, uh, 
you know, if the divisions get jumbled, like they're talking about, well, all of a sudden you've got a situation where a hitter might be facing half the teams in his division who he's never really faced before, or he's only faced a couple of times and hitters tend to do worse. You know, there, there is a, an effect when hitters switch leagues, it's typically more pronounced going from NL to AL, but hitters tend to perform worse their first season in a new league. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to say just throw the results out. I mean, a player, a player is a lot more sure. than just his environment. So it, it's just, it's going to create this extra heavily variable weight. that's going to be difficult to account for. We're going to have to heavily weight. We're going to put, have to put everything on a curve and we're going to have to figure out what that curve is, but you know what? <laughs> I hope we get to, I yeah. really, really hope we have to deal with all these issues. I hope you're right, Chris, because at this point, uh, I'll take baseball any way that I can get it. Um, so I share a similar sentiment. Uh, hopefully we can get baseball back. It's going to change how we kind of value players for years to come, obviously. But, uh, you know, within the safety ramifications, the uh, parameters that we've been given, hopefully we can have a baseball season here in 2020. Uh, so that's the latest proposal here for uh, baseball. But I do want to get into this uh, draft, this kind of uh, not really a draft as much as it is. It's the uh, all of, olds versus all youngs. All youngs versus all olds. Let's make it happen. Of course, there's no way you can do that without Team Scam controlling the oldies, the veterans here. So uh, the the age that I wanted to look at was the average age in baseball is 28 years old. So I decided to go four years in each direction where uh, the veterans that Team Scam can draft are 32 years old or over, uh, and the youngins, the youth players... Uh, that we could draft are 24 years old or younger. So I guess that's what we'll start it. Uh, we'll start here and team scam, uh, get ready to get dominated. You guys are up yeah. first. We're using a sure. points roster construction, a uh, one catcher, first baseman, second base, third base, shortstop, three outfielders, one utility, five starting pitchers and two relief pitchers. So team scam, feel free to uh, get us started here. Okay. So baseball is a young man's game, right? That's what this exercise showed us, Adam. No, it showed that hitting is a young man's game. Our pitching staff is definitely going to be better. Okay. Why don't you kick us off here since you did the the legwork? Why don't we just do pitchers? You know, nobody needs to hit. (laughs) Our pitchers, so Jacob deGrom is 31, but he'll be 32 on June 19th, which is also my birthday, by the way. Uh, (laughs) So Jacob deGrom is on our pitching staff along with Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer. Three of the first four pitchers in ADP. Yes, please. Uh, we win. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's the points league. And, Scott, <laughs> we could have a little debate about four and five. I put Kershaw and Charlie Morton on there. Zach Granke and you Darvish would also be options. Probably not Darvish. So it's a matter of bumping Kershaw or Morton for Granke. Uh, well, I I rank them both ahead of Granke, so I'm going to de- defer to my rankings there, though. I'd I'd like to think we could still have Granky on our bench, right? Oh yeah, little, and little two start situation. Yep. Swap him out, and I think that that's uh, that's the end of today's show. Uh, yeah, old guys win. Go old on. guys win. Woo! A nice Thirty-two and over edition of fantasy baseball today. Fifteen-minute episode. Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, 
you know how I, I love how I threw it to you guys for catchers and Adam just completely oh, sorry. took the show over himself <laughs> and just said, ah, we're going to go with, uh, we're going to go with pitchers here because that's the strength of the old man team. Uh, but that is something we talked about before the show. Definitely a strength here uh, is with the, with the veteran team is with the starting pitchers there. Um, so look, I'm going to follow the rules and I'm going to start with uh, our catcher here, Chris. I mean, I sent the team over to Chris before we started, and admittedly, there are a few catchers, maybe one in particular, that we just kind of miss out on who's past the age of 24, uh, and that is Will Smith. So he's not our catcher, but it seems like we kind of have to settle here on Francisco Mejia, Chris, unless there's somebody else you found who's better. No, no. There were only two catchers last season in all of baseball who were uh, under the age of 24 who appeared in at least 20 games. So no, Francisco Mejia is the only option. And and that's what was frustrating. Like I, I initially saw the list you sent me and I was like, well, that's gross. Francisco Mejia is not very good. I don't want him as the catcher on my team. Uh, <laughs> and then I looked it up and the only other option was uh, frankly, a guy I've never heard of uh, who was a backup. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, this so is I a guess... real person, M- Mabrice Villoria. Oh yeah, ah, yeah, Royals, right? Yeah, he is the only other. Uh, he is the only other p- player who caught at least twenty games in the twenty nineteen season uh, as a catcher under the age of twenty four. So how yeah. old's uh, how old's Sean Murphy? He's also uh, twenty five. Yeah, twenty five. Carson Kelly's twenty five. Danny Jansen's twenty five. Will Smith is yeah. twenty five. A lot of decent 25-year-old catchers, a lot of guys who I really like. I like Danny Jansen and Carson Kelly quite a bit, uh, especially. But, yeah, by the parameters of this game where we decided arbitrarily that you could only pick guys uh, who were 24 (laughs) or under before July 1st, yeah, yeah, we kind of got screwed at catcher. But that does, I think, highlight something valuable to keep in mind about catcher, which is that it's a really hard position to be good at at a very young age. You know, catcher prospects, you look at like Buster Posey and Joe Maurer are kind of the exceptions, but a lot of catcher prospects need extra time to develop both in the minors and when they get to the majors. So you do have to be patient with young catchers and not necessarily write them off. It's it's a difficult position to be old at too. Yes. We talk a lot about how... Uh, it's it's rare to find a quality catcher over you've got better 30. options though yeah i mean we we win this position because uh we have wilson ramos of course we could have gone with yadier molina as well and i think both of those would have been better than francisco mejia um, quite a bit <laughs> yeah so uh you got lucky yeah i guess we win there Although I don't, I don't like hearing the whining about oh, all the twenty-five-year-olds we could have picked. We had to pass up some pretty great thirty-one-year-olds. All right, let me it's tell true. you, we'll get yeah. to those soon enough. Wait, did we, Scott? Did you say who our catcher was? Yes. Okay. Good. So we win. Wilson you want to get into it more? No, no, no. Wilson Ramos. I, we, we win. I will say I like Wilson Ramos a lot for twenty nineteen. Um, you know, beyond that, I'm I'm not sure, but I, I'm a big fan of Wilson Ramos. I think last year was his floor. And that floor was like a 285 batting average. Unless he's just terrible all of a sudden because he's a 32-year-old catcher. <laughs> sure, that's possible. <laughs> but based on what we saw, the skill set is still there. He still hit the ball quite hard. Uh, he just needs to have better than a zero launch angle 
because I think the fact he's always had such good contact skills is going to help help him age better, kind of like it has with Molina. Would hope so. Yeah, it all comes down to launch angle for Wilson Ramos again. He had an average launch angle of zero. It didn't exist. I know that Chris has brought up before here on the show. So uh, raise the launch angle a little bit, hit a few more line drives, more fly balls, and we could see even more fantasy value out of Wilson Ramos. Uh, Real quick on Francisco Mejia, I'll just remind everyone that from May 11th on last season, no, he went on the IL on May 11th. Once he returned in June, his final 60 games, 297 batting average, eight home runs, and 844 OPS. To put that in perspective, Gary Sanchez had an 841 OPS. JT Real Muto had an 820 OPS. So uh, just yeah. remind you, Francisco Mejia could be a great hitter. It just comes down to uh, how well does he play behind the plate because that's going to affect his playing time. He was in the 31st percentile in pitch framing, uh, whereas his teammate Austin Hedges was the best pitch framer in all of baseball. So yeah, yeah, we shouldn't we shouldn't just cast him aside i mean we would i think we'd all take ramos or molina over him but there's there's definitely a chance he could be the best of those three yeah yeah i like mejia i think he's a good sleeper there's a handful of catchers i I would throw sean murphy danny jansen carson Kelly, and francisco mejia all together i like sean murphy the most of the four but they're all recent top prospects uh in the case of mejia a very very good prospect uh someone who you know, if you remember before the Indians traded him, they were talking about moving him to either the outfield or third base just to try to get his bat in the lineup in the 2018 season. Mm-hmm. Francisco Mejia, better as a second catcher. He's currently the 18th catcher off the board. Pick 284 in ADP right now. Uh, yeah. First base, so you guys won catcher uh, and you won starting pitchers even though <laughs> I didn't ask for pitchers, but Adam still gave us his pitchers. Well, can you Why give us you- our pitchers? I mean, not to, not for me to take over the show, but just to have that side-by-side comparison is... Oh, you want our pitchers? Or maybe sh- maybe we should wake- make you guys wait. All right, you're the host. Yeah. You're the host. Go ahead, Frank. Yeah, we'll do pitchers again later because people may have forgotten how awesome ours are. I don't mind talking about them again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Adam, why don't you give us your first baseman here? The well, old... Yeah, so 32 or older or turning 32 before July 1st. So Scott wants to go with Jose Abreu, but I actually think, Scott, I think I disagree. I think I want to go with Carlos Santana. It's either Goldschmidt, Santana, or Abreu. And yeah, if we're if we're speaking specifically, like we're we're gonna play this team in a points league as opposed to just we're using a points lineup because it's it's a more straightforward. Like if it yeah, like if we're applying this to point scoring, then certainly it'd be Carlos Santana over Jose Abreu. All right, Frank, what's the what's the ruling? Uh, we will play this out as if it's a head-to-head points league. All right, I'm with you, Carlos Santana. Santana let's do it. Yeah, and we're not not Paul Goldschmidt, who you know has been like the number one first, basically the best first baseman of the decade. But yes, we're going with Carlos Santana who has been top eight at the position four straight years. And I think he was fourth last year at, in points. He averaged 3.6 fantasy points per game last season. That was uh, tied with Pete Alonso. That was two or that was tied for sixth in, among first basemen. Again, that's Carlos Santana, which is a great points league player, but not as good as team cranks first baseman, which is, Cody Bellinger, of course, who just won the National League MVP. So, uh, Chris, give yourself a little bit of pat on the back. We finally are on the board, taking over the first base position. Man, if the olds can't even win first base, (laughs) we're in trouble. First base has changed quite a bit, yes. But Cody Bellinger's really an outfielder, so, you know, we'll we'll give it to (laughs) you guys, but fine. Yeah, that's uh, one of the things, you know, I I updated my position preview pieces yesterday, went through and just kind of made any changes that were needed, and 
you know, one of the things that, that stood out in doing the first base preview, um, how shallow the position is these days, but also there is a, like a crop of young guys coming up who could be or are very good. Cody Bellinger, Josh Bell, um, and who was the other guy that I was thinking of? Olson, Alonzo. Matt Olson and Pete Alonzo. Two guys, Pete Alonzo and Matt Olson wouldn't qualify for this exercise, but uh, and I don't think Josh Bell would either, but they're still young. They're, they're prime age players. Uh, but the old guard has kind of fallen off at first base. And so what the next five years at first base is going to look like are going to be really interesting. Can Andrew Vaughn be that elite guy? Was Bellinger, I'm sorry, Chris, was Bellinger the only first round draft pick that fell into either of these age categories? Well, no, not uh, the, other than the starting pitchers. Yeah, among the hitters we discussed, sure, yeah. Um, yeah. Bellinger, I'm looking at the rest of the names. Well, uh, why wouldn't Acuna and Soto? Oh, okay. Acuna and Soto as well. Yeah, I forgot gonna... about Acuna. Soto, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Soto, yeah. I don't know if he's round one, but he certainly is in some people. Yeah, for some Chris, people. Chris, I mean, as to who is going to make up the next elite crop of first basemen, there's a very real chance it's it's largely guys we don't even see as first basemen. Well, right. but that but that was the other point I was going to make is is that's not happening as much now. I think well, guys jo- being Josh, transitioned to first base. There, there, it's not like there's a lot of first base prospects waiting in the wings. There's, I mean, Andrew Vaughn's a distant first there. Evan White, of course, is breaking in this year, but it's 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 not a particularly strong position for prospects. And you just go through who we consider good first baseman now. I mean, Josh Bell came up as an outfielder. Uh, Max Muncy, I believe, was third base. Carlos Santana, of course, a catcher. Reese Hoskin, he was true first baseman. Um, yeah. But I feel like, I don't know, I feel like maybe the data doesn't bear this out, but I feel like you see more, like I feel like Mike Moustakis is kind of the personification of this trend in in baseball where we're a little more, baseball teams are a little more willing to you know, take a potential defensive hit because of defensive positioning, because of the rise yeah. of strikeouts. And so, you know, something that you've seen a little bit more often is even like the Cody Bellinger, a guy who came up as a first baseman and moved off the position. Sure. No, absolutely. Teams are more willing to take a defensive hit at more premium positions, but first base is still the easiest place to take that hit. So it's, I, I don't think we're going to, we're going to reach a point where first base is just doesn't have bats anymore. Like it's the defensive first position. There's, there's always going to be, it's always going to be an easy move to stick another interesting bat at first base. In this first base discussion and just in terms of younger players that are coming up at the position, I'll just throw out and Scott, I know that Alec Baum is someone that you really like. Uh, he's yeah. played third base to this point, but a lot of people suspect that he'll land at first base because he's really not a great defensive third baseman. So just keep in mind and while we're talking about younger prospects, uh, there's a chance that Baum lands at first base. And then, I don't know, I guess they figure out what to do with Reese Hoskins at that point, but uh, that's a, a conversation for another day. Uh, second base. So, so far we have Mejia, we have Cody Bellinger, uh, team scam has Wilson Ramos and Carlos Santana. Second base, Scott, why don't you get us started with uh, your second baseman? Yes, yeah, Scott, bring it, bring the hammer uh, down, baby. Second base. Uh, <laughs> I wish we could go DJ LeMayhew here, but he's 31. 
I'd even be willing to take Tommy Lastella here, but he's 31. So we're going with Robinson Cano <laughs> yeah. as our second baseman, 32 or older. There you go. Take that, guys. We how are you going to respond to that? We don't even need to hear their answer. We got this. Robinson Hall Cano. of Famer, if you ignore the PED stuff. Drop the mic on Robinson Cano. Average 2.3 fantasy points per game last season. Uh, Chris, this gives us an opportunity because obviously we're just going to win this position. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to talk out who we wanted to choose because I sent you over a few different options. Uh, but for me, it comes down to probably Ozzy Albies or Glaber Torres. So do you have a, a lean between one of those two guys? So the, there, there's a little game theory involved because you could possibly put Glaber Torres at shortstop as well. Right. But you're not going to. He's not the pick at shortstop. So it really does come down to specifically Ozzy Albies versus Glaber Torres. You guys aren't considering Keston Hira? Is he 24? They're all 23. All three of those okay. guys are 23. Yeah, but like uh, they don't he This isn't a dynasty draft. This is just a He's a little behind them. Just yeah. because he's not he, as proven. I think the upside sure. might be higher for Keston Hero than any yeah. of the three. I am sure there are people out there who would take Keston, Keston Hero over those two, but um for me, I think I go with Glaber Torres and that might be surprising because I'm not uh the biggest Glaber Torres fan. Um I just think there's a there's a degree of safety in Glaber Torres uh profile like i i don't think he's gonna hit 38 home runs again um you know 11 of them coming against the orioles if you look historic 13 of them coming against the orioles historically if you look at players who have hit uh 10 or more home runs against the same team in a given season their home run totaled the following season uh on average drops by 25 percent it's actually quite stark i think not as i think 13 players have hit at least 11 home runs against a single team in a season. None of them have hit more total home runs the following season. So it's, it's something that just, it doesn't seem quite sustainable, but he's going to hit 270 or better. He's going to hit 30 home runs in a full season. Um, so I would go with him over all these. I think there's a little bit more um, upside. I don't know if it, I, I, I actually think, Glaber is the safer, lower variance play than all. Really? It just strikes me as such a safe, like what he's done so far has just been so, you know, 20 home runs, 14 stolen bases. Each of the past two seasons just has been so consistent. Uh, but, more fantasy points per game last year than Glaber. Just, if you remember back to the 2018 season, the way that season actually went was very up and down. He was one of the best hitters in baseball for the first month or so. Uh, then he was pretty miserable for a few months. So, you know, the, I think I, I still have a little bit of concern about Albie's ability to hit from the right side of the plate. Um, and so, look, look, he's great. I just and and in an ADP, you know, Albie's. We'll trade you well. Robinson Cano for him. <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to pass. Although I do want, I think we should talk about Robinson Cano. I think he's a better bounce back candidate than he gets credit for. Uh, he was bad last season, but mm -hmm. he still had a. You know, 328 expected Woba, which isn't great, but is better than the 309 expected Woba he had. Expected batting average was 280. Expected slug was 450. Uh, still had borderline elite exit velocity, borderline elite hard hit rate. Robinson Cano might still be good. I don't think Not so. Not great. 
but potentially good. Look, the guy's left for dead. He's the 40th second baseman off the board right now. ADP pick 326, yeah. according to Fantasy Pro. So especially in like a deeper mixed league where you have a middle infielder, uh, I can get behind the Robinson Cano is not done yet. But outside of that, uh, you know, for example, if we were making a team of veterans versus youth, like I wouldn't want Robinson Cano as my second baseman. Well, no. <laughs> I'm just saying maybe he, should be the, maybe he should be the 29th second baseman drafted rather than the 40th. There you go. <laughs> Adam, shortstop. Can you guys do a little bit better at the shortstop position? Hell no, no we can't. <laughs> In fact, we did even worse at shortstop. I think the best, like, let's look at rankings. The best shortstop, 32 or older. Uh, you know, let's just go to third base. Let's go to third base. <laughs> I think it's Brandon Crawford. Oh, yeah. no. Who's going to even be better for our pitching, which is great because of his defense. But I don't uh, think there's, I think we're learning yeah. a lesson about how middle infielders age. This isn't yeah. for a sim, Adam. Elvis Andrews is uh, 31. 31, right? He's so close. So close. Uh, yeah. Uh, Not that I would be thrilled with him. Gene Segura, is he? 31, I think. 31. But this is this is revealing, because we talk about it a lot with catcher. I feel like we should talk about it more at shortstop. It's not a position that ages well either. The people who are still hitting well at that age generally aren't. Uh, you know, they've lost a step. They're not able to defend the same way. So they get moved to another position and um, it's left with with just a bunch of young guys there. So it's, it's not good. It's and not that, good and it's not unpredictable. That trend that I talked about earlier doesn't really apply as much to shortstop. Shortstop is still viewed as, and I think rightly so as the more irreplaceable uh, defensive position on the infield. You can't really, it's a lot harder to shift your way into being good at shortstop because it's not just about the range. You have to have a strong arm and the athleticism to, you know, get the ball to first base uh, with that strong arm. And so that's the one place I think we're going to see over the next decade or two where the, the defensive premium is still very high. Some of those guys might end up moving to first base. <laughs> Sorry. The shortstop position right now is still ruled by, you know, a bunch of players that are 26, 27 years old, Lindor, Trevor Story, uh, Trey Turner. But there is one shortstop that is still below 24 years old, Chris, that gives us the ability to dominate here. And his name is? That, that's where you say his name, Chris. Fernando Tatis. Franco. Oh. <laughs> Fernando oh, Tatis. Yeah, yeah. Fernando Tatis. Uh, I mean, we've talked about him a ton. I think nobody on this podcast really likes him at his current ADP, but no, none of us, at least I don't necessarily feel all that great about not liking him. I kind of do, current actually. ADP either. I kind of do like him at that ADP. Well, his ADP has to be a lot different in points versus Roto. Sure. I think in a points league, I'm not going to take him probably at all. Just somebody will take him earlier, but maybe like round four. Um, but... Uh, I think uh, I think he's a top 18 pick in a roto league. I know nobody else wants to go there, but I I'm willing to do it just because I know what happens with steals. Uh, you know, it's just I don't know. It's just, he, there's so much potential to pass to pass up there with Tatis. So I, I I acknowledge that he has to he has to have better underlying skills at the plate. But you know, if it happens, then I think a top 18 pick is perfectly fine for Tatis. I think top 12 is. A no, but and, and that's why 
that's why I said I don't feel good about not liking him there because like I think there's basically zero chance Fernando Tatis is a, a second rounder next year. I think his season either goes incredibly well and he's an obvious first rounder or he looks yeah. a little more like the underlying skill sets and we put him in like the fourth round. Well, just I, I, I don't feel good about not liking him either because I, I think he's good. I mean, he was a top prospect who came up and had this amazing rookie season and obviously yeah. things could go very well from there as you're saying, but like just a simple exercise would be of the, of the players who are typically going in the first two rounds, who has the most downside. And I, I mean, my answer would be Tatis. And if that's that your answer to that question, then it's pretty easy not to like him relative to everyone else going around him. Yeah, but, you know, he's he's usually going right around Jose Ramirez. Mm-hmm. Can you really say that Jose Ramirez doesn't have as much or more downside when he basically went a 365 days of being, I mean, like a horrible hitter? So- I, yeah, that was, I can I can because I that seems like just such a statistical fluke that I have no real concerns of it happening again. I get what you're saying, and I could be wrong about that, but that's my that's where my sensibilities I mean, fall. Yeah, he definitely has more downside than Freeman. He definitely has more downside than Arenado. He has more downside than most players going. I would say you're probably right. I would say the only player that I think has comparable downside is Ramirez, and. Not, I'm with you, Scott, that I don't really think he does, but I can't just ignore how bad Jose Ramirez was for that stretch. Um, it's just simply the stolen bases. Like, he's Freddie Freeman, maybe he'll steal 10 bases, maybe. Or Arenado, maybe four. You know, so it's the, it's the skill scarcity there and everything else that you like about Tatis. But, okay, getting off track, um, Brandon Crawford versus Tatis. It's close. I guess I'm willing to give this one to you. If you if you guys give us the next toss up, I'll give you shortstop. Uh, Fernando Tatis. For those wondering, uh, Adam, you mentioned that you can see yourself taking him in the fourth round of a head-to-head points league. Uh, well, the head-to-head points mock that we did a couple of weeks ago, he went with the first pick of the fifth round. Oh. So, yeah. at that point, seems like a pretty good value. Again, he did average 3.8 fantasy points per game last season, uh, and I have noticed that. Tatis to me seems a lot like Javier Baez where he might just wind up being this statistical anomaly that just has really bad plate discipline, but can kind of outproduce what his underlying numbers say he should based on like raw talent and just being like a freak athletically. So I'm just going to keep that in the back of my mind as like the possibility for Fernando Tatis that he's just basically like Javier Baez 2.0 and maybe even better than Javier Baez. But uh, the third base position, Scott, uh, there's a lot of third basemen. I feel like you guys should be able to compete uh, pretty well here at third base. We, we have a good third, third baseman. We didn't exactly have a lot of options. But Josh Donaldson is a, a good one, and one you in particular, Frank, like a lot. He'd, he'd be even better if you were put, if you were the one putting to this team together, you'd be even more excited about Josh Donaldson than I am. Are you trying to tug on my heartstrings? My Josh Donaldson heartstrings here. Is that what you're trying I, to do? Yes. I, I, I guess. guess. So, yeah, I would say so. I guess. Like, I think, I think he's, I probably tier him with the 10 third basemen ahead of them, ahead of him. They're in the same tier, roughly. Um, but he is at the back of that tier for me. And, you know, if things go wrong with Josh Donaldson this year, 
I'm not sure I'm going to like who we have filling in for him. Who would it be? <laughs> I guess it would be Justin Turner, which isn't so bad. Not terrible. Not in a points yeah. league. Uh, Josh Donaldson. Scott and I had a long conversation last week about Josh Donaldson versus Chris Bryant and just how, you know, that tier of third baseman is basically from Donaldson to Suarez, Matt Chapman, Mike Moustakis, Chris Bryant. Like there's this whole, this big old glob of third baseman that we all kind of rank similarly. I have Chris Bryant the lowest there, you're, uh, much lower you're, than Scott, just because I think, I don't think he has the upside of some of the other names that are in this group. So I don't, I don't know what Chris Bryant did to you, Frank. <laughs> uh, in going through my position previews, I, I, I originally did them uh, like a breakdown based on Scott's top 12. But now that we've got two top 12s, I decided to include yours as well. And uh, you've got Chris Bryant 15th at third base in Roto. In Roto. And I just don't know, like, how did he hurt you? I've actually never owned Chris Bryant, so he's never actually hurt me. But in Roto, he just doesn't stand out anywhere. I don't. Like the difference between him and like Javier Baez is I think Javier Baez could actually like excel in certain categories. I think the only category Chris Bryant might excel in is run scored. I mean, home runs for a third baseman, he's probably going to give you around 30, which is fine, but he just doesn't excel. His RBIs have been low the past two seasons and he's expected to lead off once again. So he's not going to contribute RBIs. Uh, he's fine in home runs, doesn't really excel there, doesn't give you steals. And his batting average is... It's Probably good. Average like two seventy five. So I no, just he he hasn't oh, hit boring. He's only hit below two eighty two uh, in the last four seasons in twenty eighteen, when he was hurt most of the year. You know who Chris uh, Bryant reminds me of? I think you're being unfair to to our guy Chris Bryant. You know who What's Chris Bryant reminds me of? Who does Chris Bryant remind you of? Jose Abreu, except it's RBI instead of runs. That, yeah, uh, Abreu's getting talking about Scott. I, yeah. But I think Bryant has been playing through injuries and might actually be capable of putting together a really good year, which he's already done. I mean, but it's, it's he's, been a while. I mean, he's he's done that three times in the last four years. There, there He's been elite one year, yeah, but he's he wasn't been really that good. Like 281, 282 with 31 home runs, 77 RBIs, 108 runs, four steals. It sounds really good. It was the number 11 third baseman. You know, it's just not yeah, that good. But, but look I, at, I think he's look at how close the three third basemen were ahead of him. Like among all the entire player pool, they were they were like separated by four or five spots. It was just a handful of spots separating Bryant and like the three third basemen ahead of him. Yeah, so but fine. Even if it's like the number, been. if he was the number eight third baseman, is that a big impact player? It's good. Uh, yeah. Well, look, I think there's probably 15 impact players at third base. Yeah, I. It's probably. I, I, you know, I think we're arguing different things, but I, I think Brian's capable of putting up better numbers. He uh, was a top 50 player overall. There you go. You know, that like in, in a Roto League, at least. I'm not sure about points, but in a Roto League, he Even was higher top 50. Points. Now, he was... Yeah, points is yeah, really he was, good. He was 11th or 12th in, in third base, but third base is also an unusually deep position where you might be using several of those guys ahead of him at different positions. And so... You know, we've gotten completely off track. Yeah, here. he's 28 years old, by the way. He doesn't fit. But I just, I needed to call Frank out. You, you can't, you can't disrespect Chris Bryant like that when you're the Manny Machado guy. All right, Manny Machado, greater sign, Chris Bryant. Uh, Chris, 
I realized I didn't send you over a third baseman before the show, but I think this one's pretty obvious. We're taking Rafael Devers, right? 23 years old. Yeah, he's got to be the only, I mean, the only other option would be Vladimir Guerrero, but that's, you know, very much wishful thinking. Uh, Rafael Devers has already done what we hope Vladimir Guerrero will do, which is make the leap from, you know, being really a very pedestrian hitter his first two seasons to, uh, becoming a, a truly elite hitter last season. I'm a little bit skeptical that he'll keep it up, but I don't want to overstate that. I think he's incredibly talented uh, and I think he'll be very good. I certainly, I think it's more likely he's better than Vladimir Guerrero than the opposite. Rafael Devers averaged 3.9 fantasy points per game last season at the third base position that ranked third behind only Anthony Rendon and Alex Bregman. So I would say another feather in the cap for the for Team Crank here. Uh, at third base, we have Devers, uh, and Team Scam had Josh Donaldson. The outfield, I would say probably another direction where uh, where we're going to take this one home with, I mean, considering Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto, those are the top two very easily. Um, and then Chris, I mean, I think there are a few other outfielders that you can kind of throw into discussion as the third outfielder we would choose, but... I'm going to go with Austin Meadows. As, That's as, the one I would go with as well. Uh, I know in your rankings, you have Austin Meadows and Eloy Jimenez very close, right? You have Eloy like 15th. Yes, I'm field, right? pretty um, excited about both of those players. But I, I think, for one, we've seen Austin Meadows do it for the full season, whereas Eloy Jimenez really only did it for about a month last year. He was kind of mediocre uh, up until the middle of August. Um Austin Meadows, that's a that's a feather in the cap of the scouts over stats people because Austin Meadows minor league production has been, uh, you know, especially over the last few years, pretty mediocre. You know, pretty. Uh, he he was a guy who I just didn't believe in last year because well, you look at what he did at AAA and it wasn't anything to write home about. But he really put a very nice season together last year. There wasn't much about it that seemed unsustainable. And it's another case where a young left-handed hitter um, took a big step forward by just not getting killed by lefties. Team Scam, how do you defend in the outfield conversation? We're worse, but (laughs) I I think it's like at third base where – like we we hold our own here. We hold our own. I don't think you're going to completely trounce us in the outfield, especially if you're talking – the points format where we don't have to worry so much about stolen bases. Our outfield, JD Martinez, who, you know, been a first rounder in recent years, more like a second rounder this year. Charlie Blackman, who's kind of dropped a couple rounds this year, though I don't know that he necessarily deserves to. He's still a stud in many respects. And then Michael Brantley, who must start player, especially in a points league. He's a pretty Pretty good, uh, pretty good group here. Pretty good threesome. It Not is. as good as yours, but pretty good. It's pretty good, but unfortunately, I don't think Charlie Blackman is playing any games in Coors Field this year, so that does weaken it. But if we were just doing this as like a normal, circ- normal situation, J.D. Martinez, Charlie Blackman, Michael Brantley is pretty damn good. It's pretty damn good. Would you want to replace Blackman? If he wasn't playing at Coors Field, is, it, that, it, is that how far you would move him down? Because who would be next? No, because I think it would have to be Tommy Pham. Okay. I, I don't know. If I, and no, I wouldn't move him down below Okay, Tommy so Pham. I have Tommy Pham 
well, this is a roto league. I don't think I have him that much lower in points. I have him around twenty, the twenty to twenty-five range. We're talking about. Would you move Blackman down that no. far? At, no. Okay. I wouldn't either. But it seemed like last time we talked about the prospects of Blackman outside of Coors Field, you seemed. I I think he's like going to be in a, in a good hitting environment, and I think he'll do better than his road OPS because his road OPS yeah. is is dreadful, just dreadful mm-hmm. year after year. Uh, and uh, he had not, one great year, but yeah, one great year, but but he's not a dreadful hitter. Uh, I understand what Chris has said about it. it's tough to transition from chorus to going on the road, but I do think he would take a serious hit, but not not to the Tommy Pham level. Like I would put him behind Giancarlo Stanton, who I was hoping was thirty two, but he is not. Uh, so if, if that I have them ranked case. very similarly, Pham and Stanton. Adam. <laughs> yeah, well, I know you're the low guy on on Pham, well, you hate like, on Stanton rather. I don't um, know. I think Frank's actually lower on Stanton. I think so. Uh, right. In terms of, I have my roto ranks ahead of in front of me. Uh, I have him at twenty eight. Outfielder twenty eight. John Carlos Stanton. That is roto. Pretty well. I ha- you I guys have, are. That's insane. You guys are gonna Frank yeah, get out of here. Like this is like, like that's like you're you're trying to make yourself look bad in the <laughs> final year rankings on FantasyPros.com. That, that is somebody who's Carlos ranking... is go- like, look, a, like Fernando Tatis in the second round. There's almost no chance Giancarlo Stanton's going to be the number 28 outfielder this season. He's either going to be like 57th or he's yeah. going to be 7th. Well, you're hedging your bet, obviously. Eh, then, yeah. but you're hedging your bet like a coward. You rank him 28th. You're thinking, <laughs> you rank him 28th at outfield. You're thinking baseball's not going to be played this year, so I don't even have to watch how bad this prediction is. I, I, I assume every projection system hedges its bets. But, like, but, but more seriously, like, there's, you don't, I don't want to assume, but I assume you don't think Giancarlo Stanton is the 28th best hitter at Alfie. No, it's, it's other factors that are in play. Like you've got to think he's like at worst top 15. Well, that's assuming health. I mean, right, right. That's what I said as a, just in terms of his skills and his value as a hitter. Yeah. He would be a top 20 outfielder just based on skill. Like what his, what he can do if he stays healthy. I mean, obviously, it depends how you rank. Some people rank players assuming health for everybody. And, and if that's the case, then, yeah, I would have Stanton higher. But I do like to take, you know, past injuries, uh, team context into account when ranking. And I think the depth that the Yankees have, and especially if we're talking about uh, playing as many games in a shortened style season, in a compact season where we might have double headers, like, I don't, think you're going to see Stanton in both games of a doubleheader like if the Yankees were playing doubleheaders and that's I don't know if he's going to play every day just in general anyway that's fair I just I don't uh like I don't see a world in which Eloy Jimenez 13 spots ahead of him at outfield makes sense like that is the personification of the mystery box versus boat thing you Hmm. are hoping in your wildest dreams that Eloy Jimenez becomes Giancarlo Stanton. Yeah, but but that, but and nobody's he had hoping, her- nobody's thinking, like, I agree with you, Chris, that, that they're too low on Stanton, but the whole point is that Frank doesn't think Giancarlo Stanton is Giancarlo Stanton anymore. That he doesn't see, think I don't, be that. that I don't, I, I see the injury thing. I don't see any reason to think he's not Giancarlo Stanton anymore. Well, his, Particularly like was, if you're talking about a points league. If you you look at what he did in his first year with the Yankees, it was like 3.1 points per game, which is pretty, you know, it's it's a, it's middling. It's middling. It's it's he wasn't a standout in his first year with the Yankees in a points league. Even going back to his Marlins years and leaving out the MVP season, 
he was usually like at 3.5, 3.6. That's a big difference. And I'm having trouble figuring out because the strikeout rate from his MVP season went back to normal. It went back to where it was in previous years with the Marlins, which is uh, something you've brought up before. But mm-hmm. it, it, And he was in a much better lineup. He, the runs in RBI were there. So what happened to cause his point-per-game production to drop so drastically that well, one year with the Yankees? I mean, the, the thing about that year was that he was awesome through August, and then he played hurt all of September. And it sunk his numbers. But that's <laughs> that's kind of why Frank... Doesn't rank him that high. I think you're a yeah, little low. I just, on him, but I, I don't know. It. We we've seen no skills erosion from him, and so at, at some point it's just injuries, and we've gone over this ad nauseum. Uh, but I, I just I think you guys are way too low on John Carlos Stanton. I, I feel like the points. I feel like the home run production must have slowed. Right, that must have been it. Thirty eight, and in one of the rare yeah. seasons where he hit that is stayed lower. healthy was pretty low. It's sure, but he, underwhelming from him. He changed leagues. His his walk rate was down a little bit. Like I don't. This is the problem. We saw him one year after he changed leagues, which is difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. Going to the more difficult league, uh, and then we didn't get to see him in 2019. But the underlying skill sets, how hard he hit the ball, all that stuff, the things that make Giancarlo Stanton Giancarlo Stanton were still there. And in the limited time we saw him last year, those things were still there as well. And so uh, for me, it's just if the f- if the healthy floor is as high as it is, and we know what the ceiling is, even if we don't think the ceiling is 2017, we know the ceiling is top five outfield. Hopefully. <laughs> we don't know that. I, I don't think there's any question the ceiling is top five. Uh, okay. Like, so you think it's strictly a matter of health? That's the only, for only me, factor. Yes. And, I, and I can't see any argument for Joey Gallo ahead of Giancarlo Stan, uh, another one who has had a lot of trouble staying healthy himself, missed a bunch of time last season, doesn't seem to get dinged for that well, in the same way. He's six years younger. I have Joey Gallo 29th. So <laughs> for what it's worth, uh, I don't like either of those players. Uh, but Chris, um, feel free to uh, to send in your rankings if you want to. <laughs> we could do a rank. Damn! Damn, he <laughs> called me out. <laughs> I don't like doing rankings, Frank. I like telling other people their rankings are wrong. <laughs> you know Chris this is a very good me. critic. It's uh, like at, he's just a professional critic. At this point, we have about five minutes left in the show to talk about all of our pitchers. So uh, questions will be uh, on tomorrow's show. Again, this has been uh, my issue. When we have four people on here is uh, getting to emails. But uh, tomorrow we, we will. I promise I'll try my best. Fantasybaseball.cbsi.com tomorrow starting pitchers you guys kind of revealed them at the top of the show uh i would i think it's fair to say is it just the youth favors the hitters and, and the veterans favor the, the pitchers because that seems uh, to be the direction where we've kind of landed i don't think it's as simple as that i think the the reason there are so many so many of the high-end pitchers are old is because of the way pitchers are brought up now it's it's changed so they're treated much more delicately breaking into the league and some of them may never get a chance to handle an ace workload why these older older guys have been grandfathered in and so you see a lot more guys who give you like if if they happen to have if they happen to be dominant still they're also getting the big workload that sets them apart even more Mm. so it's it's kind of I'm not sure that we're going to see as deep of a class uh, 
moving forward as we see right now at the top of the pitcher ranks. So our pitchers were Scherzer, Verlander, DeGrom, Kershaw, and Morton. And you're talking about... No, we we left Granky out. out. We're too good for Granky. But you are talking about some of the all-time greats here. But uh, I actually am curious to know what your pitching staff is, so go for it. So the starters that we wound up with were Shane Bieber, Jack Flaherty, Chris Paddock, Mike Soroka, and Zach Gallen, unless you kind of wanted to change anyone in there, Chris. But I feel like that was a pretty, pretty obvious top five here. Yeah, my only question would be, I, I didn't realize all of those guys were under 25 for the 2020 season. Because um, that was an issue that I had in putting together my all-decade team for the 2020s was finding young pitchers who had established themselves as good pitchers uh, and who were young enough that I could conceivably see them being good for six to eight years. And, you know, most of those guys, when I was looking them up, were already 25. Like Walker Bueller, I think, is 25 or 26. Yeah, yeah Walker uh, Bueller. Well, he noticed he didn't name Walker Bueller. Yeah. Yeah, he, he just missed the age cutoff here. Um, well, and well, great, great this trade. We give you Max Scherzer and Brandon Crawford. You give us Jack Flaherty and Fernando Tatis. Uh, yeah, seems like an A for you. We'll throw in Cano. Uh, seems yeah. like an A for you. Okay. Uh, Their pitching's still pretty good, Adam. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Ours is definitely better, but it's, yeah, yours, yours is good. I'd be, I'd be interested to know what the pitching would look like if we went 10 deep, you know? I think yeah, they probably, might have problems. Yeah. Well, I think we I might think have problems might, too. Though. Yeah. Well, we have well, I don't know. Darvish. We got we got eight pretty easily because we throw Carlos Carrasco in there. Sure, sure. And then probably like Lance Lynn, right? Granky, yeah. you would have you Darvish, who's thirty three years old. Do most yeah. people realize you Darvish is thirty three? He's not, yeah, he's on our our other. So, so, so yeah, one right. of the oh, go us. Uh, one of the things about that is just that the guys who make it to thirty as starting pitchers and the guys who make it to 30 as good starting pitchers, like Scott said, they've, they've proven they can do it. And so, you know, like they've proven that they can do it without getting hurt, especially. And so when you're looking at at least the very next season, it actually does make sense to, to push older pitchers up your board relative to young pitchers, because, you know, there was this theory, uh, in the early 2000s, I'm looking at the article, it was from Baseball Prospectus by Will Carroll and Nate Silver. And they looked at the what it's called the injury nexus. And it's basically like you want your young pitchers to hit a certain innings and age threshold before you can say whether they're durable enough to hang to hold up to a starting pitching uh, workload. And it's, you know, it's you have to get to like 24, 25 before you can really know for sure the attrition rate uh for 21 22 year old starting pitchers is really high and so that's a big part of it is that we just see a lot of really talented young pitchers fall apart early and in it, their careers and if that was early 2000s i i would imagine that's been pushed back the age has been pushed back to later now just because they're they're being handled more delicately on the way up i mean you can't really know if they can handle it until you give them a chance to handle it yeah and so that's that's what makes this a, a difficult exercise for pitching is that those young guys, there's there's an incredible amount of talent at that age. But when you look at the younger guys with that talent, 
it's guys who are coming back from Tommy John surgery, like Michael Kopech, who haven't proven yeah. themselves. Uh, it's only guys thrown like, like 120 innings. Ever. Yeah, it's, it's guys like Jesus Lazardo, who we all love and who we all think can be one of the 10 best pitchers in baseball. But he's thrown six innings in a start twice in his entire career. Is he one of your RPs? Yeah. Yeah. We're all about the Sparps. We have Jesus Lazardo and Julio Urias. So. <laughs> Urias. Urias. Yeah. Uh, we have Carrasco and Yates. Yeah. If we're doing points That's pretty close, specifically. We would have to do Carrasco. I, I wanted to get Chapman in there because Chapman's obviously a very high-end closer, and he qualifies for us. So just want to just want to shine a light on him too. But if we're going point scoring, I think we have to have Carrasco in over him and pair him with with Yates, right? And, and I'm, I'm sorry, who did you guys say you had? Yeah, Lizardo and Urias. Oh yeah, yeah. The two yeah, we cr- I think we crush you. Is that true? I think, I think so. Cool. I mean, look, if if everybody plays to their best case scenario, yeah, then no, we don't crush you. But I think. Having Julio Arias and and Jesus Lazardo, who just haven't done it, you know, I would I mean, much rather have Carrasco and Yates. If we get 200 combined innings from Julio Arias and Jesus Lazardo this season, my assumption is that would be the first time that's ever happened for them in a single calendar year. A hundred, two hundred. Sorry, two hundred. I mean, combined. Yeah. Uh, well, I would guess. Like add them both have up. Have they have they not each individually done a hundred yet? I don't know if they've done it in the same year. Oh. Is what I mean. Okay. Yeah. That's yes. a very specific circumstance that Chris has set up there. Well, but it's just it's highlighting that they've both struggled to uh, stay healthy. I like both of them a lot, um, but you know they're they're being pushed up draft boards uh, to a point where you know there's less value there than you would hope for for guys who are as deeply unproven as both of them are so ultimately you guys won starting pitchers let's just say we give you all pitching you won relief pitchers you won a uh, catcher uh, and then we wound up taking first base second base shortstop third base outfield uh utility i assume is oh we didn't do utility nelson cruz oh, versus nelson cruz you alvarez yeah yeah yeah. yeah, I kind of think I'd probably re- win that too. They're not that much. I well, I I would say like let me ask you if you if I could guarantee you that both of them stay healthy, who would you rather have, Alvarez or Cruz? Nelson Cruz. Alvarez. I'm with Frank. I'd take Alvarez. I'm with I'm, oh, new teams. I'm with Chris. <laughs> Let's go, Cruz. Cradham. <laughs> but I don't know, man. I mean, Nelson Cruz was a borderline first round hitter last season. So so was Alvarez. Yes. Yeah, Alvarez, Alvarez was even better, um, unbelievably. Uh, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> I'm, ba- I'm back on the other team. No, I'm, I'm not still on cruise. But Chris is going to work on his rankings, but that'll do it for today's show. Thanks well, can for I listening. Just say, the funny thing, like, not only is Nelson Cruz the utility because he's actually only eligible there, but he would it, of all the hitters available in the pool. If I were just sticking one of utility, it would have been Nelson Cruz, and it may have been Alvarez for you guys. I don't know, but uh, he, it wasn't just like I wasn't doing that DH specific. I was treating that uh, as that's open to any any player anywhere, and it would have been Cruz for me. Glaber versus Jordan is interesting. Well, we've got Glaber at second, so it'd be Albies or yeah. Oh Albies. yeah, Albie. Yeah, I probably would still take Alvarez. I think so. That's, but that'll do. That's tough. There you go. You can you can leave us now, Frank. <laughs> Fantasy baseball today for Adam, Chris, and Scott. I am Frank. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday. Bye bye.